Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Only three days ago, on February 14th, we celebrated the joys and blessings of our love for each other. Today begins our journey to remember in the aftermath of flowers, chocolates, and other sweet demonstrations of endearment, to remember and not to forget or overlook our most important valentine of all. This particular valentine is no ordinary token of affection. It is an unconditional, sacrificial, blood oath commitment of love for us, revealed through the willingness of our Creator to come down and give His life for us, to go to hell and back in order to forever secure our victory over all that hinders and holds us in bondage, even the stone-cold reality of death itself. Today, we begin a journey with Jesus to the cross, to resurrection, and beyond. The formal name for this journey, adopted by much of the Christian church, is Lent. Lent is an old English word which means spring. So, as the darkness of winter gives way to the light of spring, the 40 days of Lent, excluding Sundays, have long been observed in many parts of the church as a sacred time of reflection and reconsideration of the order, the priority, and the health of our loves, and to recognize and to recommit to the first true and everlasting love we have in Jesus Christ. That journey begins on today, what is known as Ash Wednesday, and we'll hear more about the history and meaning of Ash Wednesday throughout today's service, but for now, Observing Ash Wednesday is the recognition that receiving the love of Christ and following Jesus begins with facing the bad news of our lives apart from God. Today, on this Ash Wednesday, as we return to our series in 1 Samuel, we're going to catch a glimpse of how truly bad things can get, of just how broken we all are. And yet, let us hold tight and not lose hope. For as we'll also learn, Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent are not about facing our darkness alone. They are also about perceiving and following the light, the light that eclipses our darkness, the light of the gospel, the light of Christ, the light of God who refuses to live apart from us. So let's take a deep cleansing breath as we center ourselves in the Holy Spirit and receive the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel chapter 8. And please keep your Bibles open after the reading as we'll be considering all of chapter 8 in the message today. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served in Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and also accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to God, and God told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. This is not that you they have rejected, 
but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How could everything turn so bad so quickly? Only a chapter before, Israel had come clean to the prophet Samuel and repented of her fickleness and devotion to false gods, to idols, crafted out of our fear of loss, our insecurity about our health and well-being, and our desire for control. Israel had acknowledged all that they needed, not only their salvation, but abundant daily provision and their continued protection could be found, would be secured by the Lord God alone. And when their faith was put to the test, as their long-standing enemy, the Philistines, prepared to launch a surprise attack, the Lord God came through, delivering them from harm, returning all that they had previously lost and inaugurating a long season, two decades of peace and stability. But then a chapter later, one day, the people decided they just needed more than God. Israel became convinced that the presence and provision of the Lord in their lives wasn't enough. They wanted more. They wanted a king. And this, by the way, wasn't the first time Israel had made this request. No. Twice in their history, during the book of Judges, the people had pressed their leaders for a king. First, during the reign of Gideon, the days of Gideon, later during the days of his son Abimelech, and now for the third time in the time of Samuel, they demanded a king yet again. Now, to be fair, it appears there was some legitimate reason for Israel's request. After all, if you were paying attention, an emerging crisis in leadership was brewing. It began with the aging of Samuel. It had created a problem of succession. And Samuel's answer to the problem was simply to make his sons, Joel and Abaha, the next in line for leading Israel. However, in the time of the judges, during this period of Israel's history, spiritual leadership was not conveyed by heredity. It was the Lord alone who raised up the judge or military leader of the people. And to further complicate matters, in this particular case of Joel and Abaha, apparently the apples can fall far from the tree. What I mean is, what we learn is for these two sons, they were nothing at all like their father Samuel. Whereas Samuel had been a faithful leader of integrity, the initial tenure of his sons, Joel and Abaha, was marked by an abuse of leadership, ill-gotten gain, taking bribes, and perverting justice. So understandably, the people of Israel feared what life would be like under Joel and Abaha. So they asked for a king. And truth be told, 
in the Torah, God's law and instructions given way back when, when Moses told the people everything God planned for them, a provision was made for Israel someday to have a king. The problem here is not the request for a king per se. The problem was the manner and motive of the request. What's wrong with the manner of the people's request here? Well, it's the same mistake the people of Israel made back in 1 Samuel chapter 4. If you don't remember, earlier, earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Israelites presumptuously brought God into the battle they were facing, assuming that the Lord was on their side, that the Lord would fight for them, totally convinced that what they wanted is what God wanted, and all of this without ever even consulting with the Lord. And now here we go again, right? Here we go again as the people do not approach God asking what is best. They don't approach God asking what the Lord desires for them, but instead they presume, they demand, they tell the Lord what they must have. Israel's bad manners stem from a bad motive. And this is the truly damning part, the bad motive. Why does Israel want a king? Why? Here it is, straight from their lips to God's ears as we heard it, to be like all the nations. We see the problem here, don't we? This runs contrary to who Israel was created to be. Israel was created to be unlike all the other nations. Israel, the only nation created by God, was to be distinctive, set apart, a light to the rest of the world, a light to the rest of the world, to know and to understand how to be in relationship with the Lord, to learn how to reflect the goodness, the love, and the grace of God to others. Other nations worshipped many gods, false, deceptive, and enslaving idols made of wood and stone. Israel was to worship only one God, the one true God named Yahweh. Other nations ordered their lives around working in order to rest, a basis of power and gain built on the backs of those they conquered and exploited. Israel was instructed to keep the Sabbath holy, to rest, to abide in God, and thus work out of the Lord's provision, a basis of power and abundance that was shared because it was not earned or achieved, but it was given, given by God for the good and well-being of not just the few and the proud, but for all people. Instead of becoming a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Israel was basically declaring, we want to abandon our unique, distinct identity and just be like everybody else. Initially, in response, the Lord attempts to talk Israel out of a really bad decision. Through Samuel, the Lord outlines in detail what having an earthly king like all the other nations would mean. While the people are only focused on the functions of monarchy, what an earthly king can do for them, Yahweh points out the nature of monarchy, what an earthly king will take from them. We didn't hear these verses read out loud, but if your Bible's still open in chapter 8, notice from verse 10 through 19 the recurrence of the words take and best. The gist of what the Lord is trying to get the people to see is what they are convinced will make them more safe and secure and more positioned for success and prosperity actually will end up being more of a massive burden upon them. Ironically, gaining an earthly king will result in the loss having taken most of, the best of, the freedoms and possessions that Israel presently enjoys. 
This counter move by God is in and of itself a reflection of his grace in our lives, right? Because the witness of not just this story, but of all scripture is clear and cannot be refuted. Our Heavenly Father never allows us to stumble and fall without first warning us of the potential dangers, the inevitable consequences of going our own way rather than his. The smart move, the right choice at this point, would have been for Israel to heed the Lord's counsel and just drop the whole matter altogether. But human nature being broken, our human nature being what it is, the people remain obstinate and unmoved. They know better. They want it the way they want it. Or as verse 19 puts it, but the people refused to listen. The people double down. They reiterate their demand, and in doing so, add even more salt to the wound. Listen to this. We want a king over us, Israel declared. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. With this additional statement, the people reveal just how clueless they were. In their request for an earthly king, they made no reference at all to God. They weren't even looking for a king like the one they already had, like the Lord. No, their ideal of a perfect king came straight from the desire, their desire to be like all the other nations around them. The people were rejecting God yet again. They were in effect saying to the Lord, we believe that a human king can do a better job of protecting, guiding, and leading us than you can. Talk about a slap in the face. Was there any battle Israel had ever won without the Lord's intervention? Did they need an earthly king like all the other nations to get out of slavery in Egypt or to take possession of the promised land? No. Having been sucker punched, let alone heinously insulted, the Lord's response to the people's second request for a king is surprising. The Lord extends not a word of rejection, not a word of judgment. The Lord does not strike the people dead or turn his back on them. Instead, the Lord tells Samuel to listen to the people, to give them a king. Again, we witness the grace of God, grace albeit expressed through tough love. The Lord giving the people what they want is tough love because they will learn soon enough what happens when you don't follow the Lord's advice. As time progresses, as the majority of Israel's kings become evil and corrupt, as Israel not only greatly suffers, but eventually splits apart and then ends up in exile, the people will learn the hard way. The best king, the right king, the only king humanity needs is the Lord God Almighty. My friends, this isn't just a story about Israel. This is the story about us, all humanity. In what will be the ashes of Israel's utter failure before God, we perceive the ashes born of our own brokenness. When it comes to our relationship with our Creator, we are no less presumptuous. We are no less presumptuous in our bad manners than Israel. Don't we assume God will bless and endorse whatever we want, whatever we've decided already to do? 
without even bothering to talk and listen to him? I mean, how many times in this last year alone has the name of God been invoked in questionable statements, snap judgments, baseless accusations, and self-justifications for aggressive postures, hostile behaviors, and destructive actions? How many times in this last year alone has the name of God been thrown around without any actual interaction with the Lord? When it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we're no different than Israel. We're no different than Israel in our bad motivations. How often do we take our focus off Jesus? We forget or forsake being who God created us to be, who God calls us to be, who God empowers us to become. We take our eyes off Jesus and instead look around to see what everybody else is doing. We turn our attention to what the world promises will make us happy and secure, successful and prosperous. And then we become convinced, if we only had that, if we only had this, if God would just give us what we want, then we would be safe. Then we would view ourselves as significant. Then we would have everything we need. And just like the Lord cautions Israel, how often do we find that all those other things we look to for our sense of self and purpose, our sense of peace of mind and heart, all the relationships that we try to make our would-be messiahs, all the titles and achievements that we think will answer us, the possessions and experiences that we endlessly grasp for, how often do we discover, as the Lord tells us, that they take so much more than they give? They take our time, our evenings, and our weekends. They take our energy and our best efforts, our passion, and our very life. They take from us the very things we need, even as they leave us wanting more. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we are no different than Israel in denying grace when it is given to us. Even though we are cautioned by the Lord, even though God advises us this is going to end badly, we remain stubborn. We know better. And so, like Israel, we refuse to listen. But then, when the Lord allows what we want to happen in our lives, when the Lord allows what we want to happen in our lives and then it all blows up, we have the nerve to turn to the Lord and say, how could you do this to me? And this brings us right back to where we started. Our assumption that because God allows something to happen means that God approves of what we are doing. Even when the Lord clearly and repeatedly has told us no. We begin our journey to follow Jesus with ashes because the ashes reflect what we see in this story, what we experience in our lives when we reject the Lord as our one true king how everything eventually falls apart when we try and go our own way. We start with ashes because like it or not, accept it or not, as much as we may fight against it, death is all we have apart from the Lord. Our lives inevitably turn to dust when we seek to make anyone or anything else, including ourselves, the ruler of our lives instead of Christ. But ashes are not all we have. In a world that takes more than it gives, ashes are not all we are left with. For even though Israel all but abandons God in the end, God does not abandon Israel. The Lord works for and through Israel despite her repeated failures and betrayals. God comes in person to write a different ending to Israel's story. And once again, Israel's story is the story of all humanity. 
For even though we all but take our Creator for granted, even going so far when God comes to us in the flesh to take Jesus down, to take Jesus out, to kill God in Christ, Jesus Christ will rise from the ashes of the death we deserve to give us the abundant and everlasting life that we don't. Ashes are not all that we have. We are not a people without hope. From the ashes of our sin will rise the promise of God's mercy and love. Israel asks for a king here. And perhaps we're still looking for one too. In the midst of an ongoing pandemic, on the other side of an election, as we find ourselves more divided, more polarized than we can ever remember, we're all looking for a king. We're all looking for someone to take charge. We're all looking for someone to bring us together. We're all looking for someone to take us to the other side of this weary and broken world. We're all looking for salvation, for redemption, for meaning and purpose, for resurrection, a second chance. We're all looking for somebody or something to save us. And whoever or whatever that is, is our king. But there is only one true king. And this king of kings does not take, take, take. This Lord God gives. God gives us life. Life not spent searching for our identity, our meaning and purpose, but actually a life that we can live, fulfilling it in relationship with him. The Lord God gives. God gives us grace. Not surprising us, but telling us, guiding us in advance as to the way we should go and the way we should avoid. The Lord God gives God gives us God's self in the person of Jesus Christ, redeeming us from our failures, forgiving us of our sins, and resurrecting us from all our many deaths long before we put a foot in the grave. With the marking of ashes, a dark and undeniable slash across our foreheads, let us humbly acknowledge our utter helplessness and dependency, our need for a king. But as these ashes take their shape in the sign of the cross, let us also recognize, let us testify to others that we have been claimed, that our allegiance and trust, our loyalty and our love are with the king. Maybe not the king that we wanted, but the king that we desperately needed. Maybe not the king we didn't search for, but the king who came to find us. That king comes to bring his kingdom into our lives and into this world. And for that, let us say, thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.